This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here. Welcome into another episode of the Prospect Podcast. This episode is dedicated to the AFC East draft grades. Last episode, NFC East draft grades. Check that out. Cowboys, my least favorite draft class in the entire NFC East. And I don't think I've said that in a very long time. I like what the Giants did. I like what the Eagles did to a certain degree. And I like what the Washington football team did. But we're jumping conferences over to the AFC East. I'm going to start with the Miami Dolphins. At number six overall, they picked Jalen Waddell, my number one wide receiver in this draft class. Based on just my board, I, I would have picked him as the first receiver off the board. But of course, with the Bengals, the Joe Burrow connection with Jamar Chase, I understood that. But I think the Dolphins made the right decision going Jalen Waddell over Devontae Smith because Devontae Smith's traits trump what Devontae Smith brings athletically on the football field. Jalen Waddell is the closest receiver prospect that we have seen to Tyree Hill, and I mean that genuinely. I did not have Henry Ruggs as a Tyreek Hill comparison last year for many reasons, but I'll explain why I think Jalen Waddell can have a similar career arc to Tyreek Hill and be Tyreek Hill 2.0. What makes Tyreek Hill really good? The fact that he's super fast, incredibly quick, and has outstanding ball skills and plays above the rim at like 5'10" because he can jump out of the gym. That encapsulates the strengths for Jalen Waddle. And Tyreek Hill was a great returner in college. Jalen Waddle was an awesome returner in college. And to be a great returner in college, you have to have outstanding vision and the ability to make cuts at almost full speed to avoid the 11 defenders that are running at you. That translates after the catch when you're a receiver. And Jalen Waddell, I said it all pre-draft process, he is different. Just like Tyreek Hill, to me, is the most dangerous receiver in the NFL because of those traits. Those are the traits that type of traits that Jalen Waddell has. So they made a good decision there to help Tua Tungavailoa with a familiar wide receiver in Jalen Waddell. At 18 overall, Jalen Phillips. I like that selection too because he was my number three edge rusher just behind Quiddy Pay. Checks all the boxes, length, pass rushing moves, bend, explosion, speed to power. And any Dolphins fan listening to this knows really what my only concern is, is the concussion history. And I don't really factor in medicals to a grade. So do I think Jalen Phillips is elite in any of the areas that make a really good edge rusher? No, but I think he is well above average in all of those areas. So I think he has a very high floor and to pair him with Emmanuel Agba, who I think is a good like number two rusher. I don't know if he can be an alpha rusher. They get one of those with Jalen Phillips and they get an alpha wide receiver at number six overall with Jalen Waddle. After that, 
I cool a little bit on what the Dolphins did. Javon Holland at number 36 overall, when Trayvon Merrick was on the board, Richie Grant was available, and they could have picked Andre Sisco. I get the nine interceptions over two seasons are appealing. And in 2018, as a free safety, he had those five picks as a freshman, and it really put Javon Holland on the draft radar. In 2019, four interceptions, a few of them were gimmies. Even in 2018, a few were gimmies. They had him play in the slot a lot more. And that was good to see that versatility as a draft analyst. That was a good thing. But I noticed on film some stiffness in his hips when he needed to flip and turn and run. So if the Dolphins want to use him as strictly a free safety and let him just range from the deep middle, I'm fine with that. And I think that is where the Dolphins can tap into the most potential for Javon Holland. They ask him to drop down and cover the slot. I think he's going to run into some problems. So I didn't like that pick because I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it because the stiffness athletically in man-to-man coverage, the fact that his interception total was a little bit inflated and the other safeties that were on the board that I liked more. Liam Eikenberg trading up for him at number 42 overall was rich. Even just going 42 overall and then trading up, I, I did not like that. I think he's relatively high floor, pretty good athlete. Uh, he needs to get a lot stronger. I don't think his handwork is great for being this experienced um, Notre Dame blocker. We know that right before the draft, the Dolphins said that they were going to move Robert Hunt to the inside, their second-round pick out of Louisiana last year. They're going to move him to guard. So Liam Eikenberg's probably your penciled-in starting right tackle. I think he's going to be stretched to the limit athletically. Decent athlete. He's, like, decent across the board. And I don't know if you want decent at 42 overall. There was other offensive linemen I think would have been better selections. But I think a lot of times NFL teams are like, hey, we want high floor. We don't want boomer bust. And that's what the Dolphins did there at 42 with Liam Meikenberg. Hunter Long at 81 overall, their third round selection. I think he's someone that can actually move the needle as a receiver at the tight end spot. And there's not a lot that can do that. I think he can stretch the seam a little bit, decently fast. Not a big time separator. Good catch radius, too. And I like that he's big. 6'5", 253, decent blocker. I think he diversifies the Dolphins' tight end room. We know what Mike Kosicki is. He's basically a big wide receiver. He's not going to be much of a blocker. I think Hunter Long is more of a three-down player. Lionel Coleman in the seventh round. 6'7", 300 pounds out of UMass. Long, super developmental. Like, the footwork needs to get a lot better. He needs to play lower. He needs to get more powerful, of course. Pretty good athlete, though. And at 244 overall, Jared Dokes, I liked his film. He was a late watch for me, the running back from Cincinnati. And talk about diversification. He diversifies the Dolphins running back rooms to give it a bruiser. Six foot, 230, light feet too. And that was impressive. I, I thought, while not super elusive, he has enough lightness in his feet to subtly make defenders miss between the tackles. And he's a pretty good receiver. So that was good value at 244 overall. Overall, I like what the Dolphins did. Uh, I like what they did earlier. And of course, the first and second round picks are going to matter more than the sixth and the seventh rounders. So overall, I'm going to give the Dolphins a B plus. Uh, Later on, some C pluses, some B minuses for me. But I gave A's to Jalen Waddell and Jalen Phillips. Filled needs were the right players for the, the Dolphins in the first round. 
Moving on to the Buffalo Bills. At number 30 overall, they picked Gregory Rousseau for Miami. And if you listen to this podcast or Matt's Purple Insider podcast that I was on, read a buyer beware article that I put out about a month before the draft, or just looked at my big board before the draft, Gregory Russo was the guy that I was like, he is going to be overdrafted. I had him like in the early hundreds, I believe, on my big board. I thought he was like a fourth round pick. 6'7", 265. To me, and I'll first start with the player, and then I'll explain why I didn't like it from a Bills perspective. Not a lot of one-on-one wins against offensive tackles, and that's pretty important if you're an edge rusher. Even with the 15 and a half sacks, I thought a lot of them were of the coverage variety or were when he was schemed with stunts and twists and games on the inside to free him up. And at 6'7", 265 with crazy long wingspan, I mean, it makes sense that he was going to have a lot of sacks because he, when he was schemed up, because if you get him a free run at the quarterback, not many quarterbacks are going to be able to elude someone with that big of a tackling radius. I think he rushes high, he plays high, uh, does not convert a lot of speed to power because of that lack of leverage, and he needs to gain weight. I don't think he's very strong. And the pass rushing moves were almost non-existent. Occasionally, I saw like one or two swim moves, maybe, and a swipe move against a guard that was a very easy win against lesser competition. Beyond that, I didn't see any other pass rushing moves. And, And... not that you need seven pass rushing moves, but if you have a great swim move and a great swipe, use them, have a plan. Gregory Russo, I I don't think does at this point. Now for the bills at 30, they're interesting in that to me, they should have been picking instant impact there. They're a super bowl contender. And Josh Allen is on likely the last, what will be the last cheap year of his NFL career in terms of his cap hit. They're probably going to extend him. And maybe the first year, like maybe 2022 will be relatively cheap. And then it'll skyrocket his cap hit after that. And deservedly so. But I do get it from a perspective of, hey, we have Josh Allen. He's our quarterback. He's going to be here for 15 more, 10, 15 more years. Let's be consistent and be in the Super Bowl conversation for the next decade. So let's look long-term at 30 overall. That's what the Bills must have been thinking. Their GM, Brandon Bean, came out after the draft and kind of insinuated that Gregory Rousseau is not going to be a instant impact guy, that they hope he can crack the lineup or you know the rotation, but they're really picking him to be the starting edge rusher, one of the starting edge rushers in 2022. Jerry Hughes is older. Mario Addison's older. I get planning for the future, but I did not like that selection. I gave it a D plus uh, on draft night. I, I thought it was way too early and would have liked the bills to go instant impact with this Super Bowl window wide open right now, but they redeemed themselves in round two with a first round prospect on my board, Carlos Basham. He's the opposite of Gregory Russo. I think he is instant impact. He actually had the exact same grade as bills second round pick in 2020 AJ Epinesa, but I think Basham provides more juice. He is a crazy mover at six, three and a half and almost 280 pounds. The pass rushing work is pretty good. Speed to power is outstanding. Just a little bit inconsistent. There are times where he's invisible for a quarter, but then in the second half, he can be the best player on the field. So I think he will be more instant impact than Gregory Rousseau 
to be that third or fourth rusher on the Bills pass rush that was good creating pressure, but not at converting that pressure to sacks in 2020. And one last thing on Rousseau, maybe that's why the Bills picked him. They said, hey, we need to convert some of these pressures into sacks, and it's 6-7 with the wingspan. That's why they picked him. The linemen after that, Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle, similar players. Spencer Brown is ready to go. I think Tommy Doyle has a year, needs a year to refine some of the waist bending he does on film, lunging at pass rushers, getting a little over anxious. They're both 6'8". They can play in the 320s, 330s, maybe even 340s eventually. Outstanding athletes, and I like it from that perspective. Not every great athlete is a great player, but most of the top-tier players in the NFL, regardless of position, are high-caliber athletes. And Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle both are outstanding athletes. Brown is interesting, and probably why he was picked, or part of why he was picked, opted out in 2020, or did not opt out. Northern Iowa did not have a season. He spent the season training with Joe Staley and then showed well at the senior bowl after having a year off of football. I think he is more ready to go because he's not over anxious. He understands that his athleticism is his best friend. His length is also a luxury and he plays low. He understands at six, eight, he needs to sink and not get out leverage. He does that better than Tommy Doyle. That was probably another reason. And a bigger reason than just training with Joe Staley that he was the 93rd pick and Tommy Doyle went 161 overall. I gave the Spencer Brown pick a B minus live and Tommy Doyle a C plus. I, I like when you have a franchise quarterback addressing the offensive line and shoring up that position for the future. At 203 overall in the sixth round, the Bills picked Marquez Stevenson, one of my favorite wide receivers in this entire class. I thought of all the small burner types like the jet sweep, deep ball players. He was the best one. I had him graded at number 69 overall. The Bills get him at 203. They have Isaiah McKenzie. They brought him back. I think Marquez Stevenson is legitimate competition to be the Bills starting returner and just that jet sweep gadget type. And he gives more downfield juice than Isaiah McKenzie. I think the fact that the Bills signed Isaiah McKenzie off the street a few years ago and have kept him around for multiple seasons they sh shows that they like him. So I think they have a type there, and I think Brandon Bean saw a lot of Isaiah McKenzie in Marquez Stevenson. I don't actually think that Stevenson is as sudden and is as make-you-miss of a player as Isaiah McKenzie, but I think he has more acceleration and long speed. That's what this Bills offense needed, a true game-breaker down the field. That's what they got in the sixth round with Marquez Stevenson. After that, I liked DeMar Hamlin a lot, had him graded a lot higher than 212 overall, where the Bills picked him. Very smooth hips, light feet. He plays bigger than kind of a lanky frame that he has coming downhill against the run. Zone instincts are very good. He's not crazy good covering the slot, but I think he can be that middle of the field roamer. He's going to fill in for Dean Marlowe, one of the few bills to leave Buffalo in free agency this offseason as that big nickel type. And it's good to add more depth to your secondary later in the draft. So overall for the Bills, um, C plus, B minus, somewhere in that range uh, because I did not like Gregory Rousseau in the first round, but I liked Carlos Basham, gave that an A at 61. Yeah, I think C plus because I, I did give 
Tommy Doyle, a C plus, Spencer Brown, B minus, but Stevenson, an A, DeMar Hamlin, A minus, Rashad Wild Goose, B minus, and Jack Anderson, who I think it has a ways to go before he can contribute, C plus. Those are later picks, so they're not going to weigh as much in a grading of an entire draft class. C plus for the Buffalo Bills, but a lot of times you do see the elite teams get lower grades because they don't really have major needs, so they're picking for the future. That's what the Bills did here. Let's move over now to the New England Patriots. Very interesting draft class, and I'll be upfront about this. Didn't like it. Really did not like it. Mac Jones at 15 overall. It felt like, what a steal. After hearing about Mac Jones going number three overall to the 49ers for weeks and months before the draft, and then he falls to 15. The Patriots don't have to trade up for him. I don't think he's that great of a prospect. I had him graded in the in the 30s or maybe at 40 overall once I tweaked everything with my grading system. I think with New England and Josh McDaniels as the offensive coordinator, he'll like the fact that he can kind of revert to more of a Tom Brady-esque system. A lot of quick throws, using the running backs, don't have to worry about the designed run game. But there still is Cam Newton there, so they have to have that. They will have to have that part of the playbook still there. So Mac Jones, I think he can be a good quarterback in New England. I don't think he'll ever be a great quarterback with the Patriots. Number 38 overall, Christian Barmore. I gave this a B plus live. Uh, we know that Bill Belichick likes these oversized offensive line, defensive linemen that can play end. They can play the nose tackle spot. They can rush from the three technique position on the outside shoulder of the guard. That's Christian Barmore. He's just very inconsistent. Early in the season in 2020, you would have thought this is a fourth or fifth round pick. In the college football playoff, he played like a first rounder. And they needed more juice on the interior of their defensive line, getting after the quarterback. They're in a division with Josh Allen. Tua and Zach Wilson create pressure on the quarterback. I like the pick B-plus for Christian Barmore at 38. Ronnie Perkins at 96 was my favorite Patriot selection because he is the stand-up 3-4 rush linebacker that Bill Belichick has loved during his entire coaching career. He has pretty good handwork. I think he's pretty bendy. There's some juice around the corner. I don't know how quick he is and how well he changes directions. Like, if he tries an inside move, I don't think he has the suddenness to threaten and win through the inside route to the quarterback. But he'll set a sturdy edge as this overhang linebacker in Bill Belichick's scheme. And their speed to power conversion. He uses a long arm. Ask Tevin Jenkins. Tevin Jenkins, I absolutely adored his film was put on a highlight reel of Ferrani Perkins with this one-arm straight arm that he drove Tevin Jenkins, who was so powerful and had such a good anchor, into the quarterback. It was one rep, but it stood out for Ronnie Perkins. They signed Matthew Judon in free agency. Chase Winovich has been up and down. They needed another outside rusher, and they get there with Ronnie Perkins at 96. After that, not a huge fan with what the Patriots did. Ramondre Stevenson at 120. Okay, it's the fourth round. It's a running back. I think he has good feet for being a bigger back, uh, but is he really a needle mover at this point? No. Cameron McGrone, super young. I believe he's only 20 years old. Uh, maybe by the time uh, you're listening to this, he's 21, but I know he's a younger player, very inexperienced. Flashed sideline to sideline range at Michigan, but not a lot of coverage ability, ball production, 
you like to see that for the linebacker spot. So the athleticism is there. It fits the mold of a modern day linebacker. Uh, but I think he's a big time project or, and there's just a lot of projection to him, but 177 overall and gave that a B Josh Bledsoe from Missouri. I like his short area quickness. Uh, I don't know if he has the acceleration or the twitchiness overall, like the short area quickness, I think initially moving, he's pretty quick, but then exploding to follow a route. I don't know if he has that to stick with wide receivers and tight ends and running backs out of the backfield, but in the sixth round, not terrible. Gave that a C plus Will Sherman and Trey Nixon developmental types. Trey Nixon was in a very gadgety offense at UCF, but is a good athlete. They got him at two forty two overall. So I guess I didn't hate it as much as just looking at my grades. Um, but for the Patriots to get Mac Jones, I think it was a good pick, not a great pick. Christian Barmar liked it, loved Ronnie Perkins. After that, in the middle of the draft where the Patriots in the past have found a lot of good value selections, I, I think with R- Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma and Cameron McGrone from Michigan did not love what they did. So overall, looking at the grades, I will give the Patriots another C plus. Had a lot of C pluses uh, in the second and third day in my live grades for CBS Sports. Uh, C plus for the Bills and C plus for the Patriots. The last team in the division, the New York Jets, and this is a fascinating draft class. And I guess I think all these draft classes are fascinating, just being a draft analyst, and because we're, it's fun to finally be able to see the picks after speculating for so long. Zach Wilson at Number two overall, I think, was the correct decision. It was funny how the roller coaster of who's the second best quarterback in this draft class, how that materialized, and that once Zach Wilson kind of became the consensus top quarterback after Trevor Lawrence, then there was a lot of pushback that Justin Fields was the guy. And it was funny that like at the end of the draft process, there was more of support for Justin Fields as being the second best quarterback. I think it was Zach Wilson. I think his arm talent is a little better in terms of making those off-platform throws. He doesn't need to have his feet completely set as frequently as Justin Fields does to still drive the football and make accurate throws down the field. And we know just improvisationally, Zach Wilson is a better uh, player than Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields can escape defenders because he's a bigger and he's a, a more capable athlete, but he leans on his legs a little bit more in those pressure situations. Zach Wilson is not afraid to keep his eyes up and wants to make plays with his arm after getting outside the pocket off structure. So I like that pick for the Jets. A little concerned about him going from a BYU system that led to him not being pressured very often at all to a Jets team that probably will have a a few more issues protecting up front. But with that being said, they pick Elijah Vera Tucker at 14 overall. Do I think the Jets would have been better off staying put and like drafting a couple offensive linemen in rounds two and rounds three? Yes. It was a very costly trade up for a guard slash right tackle, left tackle player. I liked Elijah Vera Tucker. I had him graded just outside the first round. So I didn't hate this pick because you need to protect your young quarterback, especially one in Zach Wilson that is coming again from an offense that did not yield a lot of pressure. So philosophically, I liked what they did. The player to me was the number one interior offensive lineman in this class. Great athlete, pretty good anchor, not going to lunge very often. Uh, But I thought the trade-up was a little pricey for the Jets. They would have been better off diversifying. That's a key word in this podcast and just in my draft philosophy. 
But then they make up for that. I still give it a B plus for that pick in round two with Elijah Moore at 34 overall. A lot of people had him as a first round player in mock drafts. I had him graded inside the first round. He's very high floor. He's going to be a good player in the NFL. I compared him to rocket fueled Jamison Crowder before the draft. Ironically, he might replace Jamison Crowder as early as this year. Great routes, sudden catches everything. Not like ridiculous after the catch. Like he's not Tyree kill as a smaller slot receiver, but he'll make some defenders miss. He's going to get open be a chain mover, and then occasionally hit the big play down the field. We saw him do that at Ole Miss in 2020. So you get your off, or your quarterback, you get him an offensive lineman, and then you get him a reliable slot receiver who can separate in Elijah Moore. Michael Carter, he's the starter. I mean, there's Ty Johnson there who I liked a lot coming out of Maryland a few years ago. But Michael Carter, seeing that the GM picked him and he's at 107 overall, he's probably going to be the starting running back or at least part of or a big part of the running back committee early on. He was the best running back available, I thought, at that point. He's kind of on the Geo Bernard, James White spectrum in that he's a good receiver, pretty sudden, not crazy long speed. I think he'll be a, a useful player for them. I gave that a B plus. After that, soured a little bit on what the Jets did. Jamie and Sherwood, he's very long. He's big, 6'2", 220, but he's more of a linebacker than a coverage type. And I think it, and it is the fifth round, but to ask him to cover. I know they have Marcus May as their franchise player, but I would have liked to see more of a coverage type player there than someone that's just going to hit downhill and be a little stiff. I liked the Jason Pinnock pick at 175 overall in the fifth round. He's long armed. He's a good athlete. Uh, I don't think he's the stickiest. He's not going to stay in phase often, but the athleticism and the size and the length over 32 inch arms, I think is worth it at 175 overall. And then Hamza Nasirildin from Florida State, a little bit later than people thought. I didn't have him graded much higher than this because I think at 6'4 and 220, he does not play with a lot of urgency, but pretty high floor for being a sixth round pick because he's 6'4, 220, good athlete, a lot of tackle production. He's more, of, again, in the box player. I was a little confused why they went um, Jamie and Sherwood and then uh, Hamza Nasirildin because they're going to play the same role. Maybe they're just battling it out for that big nickel role. And my favorite pick in terms of pure value for the Jets, Jonathan Marshall at 207 overall in the sixth round. He was one of my favorite athletic nose tackles in this class. I think he truly can be a pass rushing type that's playing the zero or the one technique in the NFL. The pass rushing moves are good. The burst is good a lot of jolt in his initial grapple with interior blockers. Don't be surprised if Jonathan Marshall ultimately is a rotational player and a good one that can play actually all three downs in New York. So overall, I'm going to give the Jets a B minus. Uh, I, I like they had a pretty easy decision at number two. Um, I liked Elijah Moore. I liked Michael Carter. Love Jonathan Marshall early. And then in the... Um, Middle of the draft, Michael Carter from Duke. I thought it was a little early for him. He's like a safety cornerback hybrid. Uh, he's a little off the draft radar, though. There wasn't uh, a lot of buzz for him to go that early. I, I wasn't as crazy high on him in round five. Jamie and Sherwood, a C plus. So it's a B, B minus range for the Jets. And that, geez, I, I don't know why I was looking for a fifth team. That will do it for my AFC East draft grades. Again, New York Jets. 
B minus Buffalo Bills, C plus New England Patriots, C plus, and the Miami Dolphins, B plus. I should have this written down. Um, I like what the Dolphins did, especially early on. Yeah, B plus for the Dolphins. Uh, so I will continue rolling on with this draft grade series. Going to move over. Let's see. Let's do AFC and NFC North next week. Again, I'm Chris Trapasso. Remember, subscribe, rate, and review to the Prospect Podcast. I will run through these draft grades. And during the summer, I'm going to mix in some 2022 draft stuff. I know it's super early, but I do know there are some listeners that like to dig into the draft that early and be made aware of who are the big prospects to watch in the upcoming college football season. And also, I'll talk a lot about young players, rookies, first, second, third, fourth year players, all those guys on their rookie deals. Those are the players that at CBS Sports, I evaluated during their time as prospects. So the prospect is not just a draft draft podcast. I will talk about young players, their situations. Um, I'll mostly stick with rookies because they're fresh off being draft prospects. Uh, But there's a lot to discuss. Offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year candidates, surprise players, sleepers, best value. So that's what's coming after the NFL draft grade series. Thank you again so much for listening to the Prospect Podcast.